It's really significant, isn't it? And important and lovely to celebrate communion together. Uh, to to recognise that um, all of us, though how radically different we are in lots of ways, yet we all um, find what we need in Jesus and his life given for us, his death, his resurrection and his indwelling life. And it's a, a poignant and significant moment as we celebrate communion together. As remember that we, uh, we've been saved. Remember our salvation and what it costs and what it means um, for us. What I want us to think about just for a few moments uh, in, our, in our time together now as we open God's word is, is, so what does that mean for us as we head into a new week? So what does that mean for us? How do we respond to that as we, as we, as we move on from here into the, the opportunities and the challenges and whatever the week has in store for us? We've been saved. We remember God's salvation. So what does that mean? What happens next? To, to help us do that, we're going to be in Exodus this morning. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 15 and look at how God's people responded after, after they were saved. Just to get us thinking about that, and while you find Exodus 15, uh, I want to, to tell you a story. And the story is set in, uh, in Midland, Texas in 1987. And it centers around somebody called Jessica, Jessica McClure Morales. I wonder if anyone uh, remembers these events. Jessica was 18 months old when this took place. And the first 18 months of her life were fairly ordinary, fairly uh, normal, I think. Nothing particularly happened out of, the, out of the blue until Wednesday morning, the 14th of October, 1987. Jessica was at her, her auntie's house. Who, they ran a little daycare. And her mum was the one who was looking after her and, and some others. But she had to go inside to take a telephone call. Imagine that, having to go inside to take a telephone call because the telephone was connected to wires. (laughs) She stepped inside only for a few moments. And when she came back out, there was crying and, and, and chaos. And she couldn't find Jessica. And what happened was that Jessica had fallen down this, this little well. Now, when I read about this, I, I sort of pictured a, a, a well, but, but having seen some things on YouTube, it's more like a very small hole in the ground, just eight inches in diameter. And she had fallen a, a, a radical 22 feet down to the bottom of this well. And this poor little girl is now trapped at the bottom of this well And she'll be trapped there for a staggering 58 hours. This story was kind of came to life because CNN was was covering it. And it was kind of one of the first examples of 24-hour news as people are tuning in hour after hour to watch what's going to happen to baby Jessica. And and the kind of whole of, of of the states, the nation really gets on board behind this story. Rescuers uh, arrive and they've got a lot of problems to, to navigate. Uh, so they, they start kind of pumping oxygen down into the hall to keep, to keep her going. They have little microphones down there and speakers so they can talk to her. And there's these quite touching stories of uh, rescuers listening to her singing a song about Winnie the Pooh. And she's down stuck in this well with a, uh, in this unusual position with a foot above her head. 
Uh, uh, but they want to keep talking to her, keep her moving, keep her going. Uh, and, and rescuers arrive. We're in Midland, Texas, so this is oil country uh, with lots of kind of drilling equipment. And rescuers uh, arrive, and they have a very difficult task because they can't uh, they can't drill too close to the hole, or else they might risk uh, causing further injury. But they, they drill a hole thirty. Um, inches in diameter, adjacent to the well. They go down and they go below where she is, uh, kind of right down through layers of, of really hard rock, harder than granite. And then they've got this tricky task to go across from this hole they've dug to, to, the, to the well. And that's the, the kind of really difficult part, but they get across there. Uh, and remarkably, on the evening of the 16th of October, 1987, baby Jessica is lifted out of this well alive. 58 and a half hours she was down that well. 58 and a half hours. No food, no water. Remarkably, a couple of surgeries, there was a, some, some, some issues, but all in all, she was recovered uh, um, healthy. Now, here's what's amazing about that rescue for, for baby Jessica. As the nation watches on as it happens. She remembers absolutely nothing about it. She, she had no recollection of it whatsoever, as we remember very little from when we were 18 months old, I suspect. And it was as she was watching a show as a child about amazing rescues that she watched, a show, she watched her own rescue on this show. And, and her parents were saying, this, this is actually what happened to you. The, the question for us was, this is an amazing rescue that happened to Jessica. But what happened next? She's been saved, but what does life look like after she was saved? And, and, and the answer is, it's, it's really extraordinary. It's a really ordinary life. She went to school. She graduated from high school. She got married. She has two children. And she now has a job with the education board in a small town only miles away from this well where she spent those 58 and a half hours. The question is, what does life look like after we've been saved? What does our life look like after we've been saved? We've just been remembering what Jesus has done for us. We've, he's saved us miraculously. What does that life look like for us now? To help us that with that question, we're going to think about Exodus chapter 15. Let me give you the context and then we'll read it together. God's people are in, uh, in Egypt. They've been there since Joseph. And they went in as a family and they're now a nation. But the Egyptians have been oppressing them. They've been slaves there for, uh, and really suffering under the Egyptians. And God has raised up a rescuer called Moses. And there's lots of wonderful detail in that, that rescue story. But for us this morning... That God's people have now been rescued. So all of the people of Israel, old and young, uh, intelligent, not intelligent, handsome, less so, are all now on the move. They're leaving Egypt. They've actually been given loads of stuff from their captors. They're heading away. And they're just about at the Red Sea when Pharaoh decides, actually, I would like to change my mind. And he sends his best soldiers, his best military men after them. So now they're between a rock and a hard place as they're between the Red Sea and the oncoming Egyptian army. And God steps in to miraculously save them. He parts the Red Sea. There's two walls of water. They pass through on dry land. 
they all get through to the other side and then the water comes back in on itself and destroys those who have been chasing them. God has rescued his people. His people have done absolutely nothing to, to, to merit their own salvation. They haven't earned it. They haven't contributed to it. They haven't played their part. They have just walked in what God has done for them. And they're just at the other side. And that's where we pick up the story. Let's read, or let me read for us, Exodus chapter 15. I'll read to up to verse 21. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he's hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army is hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In the great, in your greatness, sorry, in the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger and consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue. I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils. I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew them with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the Philistines, the chiefs of Eden will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by, Lord. Until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back on them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam, the prophet Aaron's sister, took the timbrel in her hand and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing, and Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and rider he has hurled into the sea. Let's, uh, let's stop there for now. The people have been saved. They were slaves. Now, this probably is a familiar story to us, but let's just, let's just live in it for a moment. The people were slaves. That means they didn't make their own decisions. They didn't own their own bodies. They didn't own their own homes. They didn't own their own stuff. They were told what to do and when to do it, when to sleep, when to eat, when to work, what to do. The people were slaves. 
And now they're free. And now they're free. And they respond. And there's two things I want us to look at really simply and quite briefly. Firstly, they respond in praise. They respond in praise. Moses leads the people in this incredible song as they reflect on the salvation that they've just experienced. This is, this is the first song of the Bible, but it's not the only one. As, as we continue to read through the Bible, we get the Psalms, this book of prayers and praises as people are encouraged to sing to the Lord, to praise him, to worship him. Even Jesus, after we read in Mark 14, after the Last Supper, they sang a hymn before they went to the Mount of Olives. Paul uh, encourages to sing uh, songs and spiritual songs and blessings to each other. There's something significant, there's something important about praising God through song. Now, if, if we are born and brought up in church, the fact that we sing in church seems very normal. Well, of course we sing in church. We've always sung in church. But if you're new to church, then it would be a very legitimate question to say, why do we sing? Why do we sing? I'm not a singer. I, don't, I didn't ask to join the choir. Why do we sing? Well, there's something about singing together which is important. There's something about praising God together. For important. It's, it's a response of our hearts to what God has done for us. It's, a, it's something responsive about it. But there's also, as we sing, we're, we're reminding ourselves of what God has done. Remind ourselves of, of, of who he is and what he's done because life starts to, to crowd that out for us. We get bogged down in the difficulty and the distress and the, the, the things that perplex us in life. We get weighed down with it. And, and singing is, is, is a reminder to ourselves of who God is and what he's done. And we declare it to each other. We're reminding ourselves and we remind each other of, of what God has done for us. Because the, the reality is for the people here, they're still in the desert. Yet they're incredible salvation. Absolutely amazing salvation. That they're now not in Egypt anymore. They're not slaves anymore. But not all the questions have been answered yet. They're in the desert. Where are they going to live? What are they going to eat? What are they going to drink? What's life going to look like? How is this all going to work? You know, we know the end of the story. They don't know the end of the story. There's still plenty of questions. But they, they, they remember specifically their salvation and they praise God for it. To remind themselves of who God is and what he's done. To declare it to each other. And as a response of what's happening. Rob Whitaker used to say that one of the longest journeys is from our heads to our hearts. It's a long journey from knowing something to experiencing it, to feeling it, to recognizing it as true. And singing is a fantastic way, singing praise to God is a fantastic way of smuggling truth into our hearts. Let me say that one more time. Singing praise to God is a fantastic way of smuggling truth from our heads into our hearts. That's why it's so important what we sing, as well as singing together. Let's just notice what it is the people are singing. Really simply, they sing about who God is. They sing about who God is. I love this. In this song, there's no mention of Moses, though he plays a big part in what's going on. 
No mention of Aaron, no mention of Miriam. This is about who God is. This is a a song about who God is. And as we go through, we see verse one, he's highly exalted. Verse two, he's my strength and my song. Verse three, he's a warrior. Verse 11, who among the gods is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. The Lord reigns forever and ever, verse 18. Sing about who God is. It's about who he is. You know, when we're, when we're little children, we, we, we love our parents or those who look after us because a lot of what's good in life comes through them. They feed us and they clean up after us. Uh, they, they make sure we're warm and dry and safe. They take us to the park. A lot of what's good comes into our life through them. But as we grow up, our parents become people. And we start to, 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 to kind of recognize them and interact with them perhaps slightly different. Of course, we still love them for all that they've done for us. But we also recognize that they're people that we start to, to appreciate perhaps their sense of humor or their integrity or, or their work ethic or whatever it is. Our relationship changes and we don't just love them anymore for what they've done for us, but for who they are. There's a change that takes place. And I love that the people recognize who God is. Verse 2, the Lord is my strength and my song. It might say my defense, depending on your translation. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Maybe that is a verse we can take into this week together. The Lord is my strength. Not the Lord gives me strength. The Lord is my strength. He's the one who carries me. He's the one who will get me through. He's the one whose resources I'm going to call upon this week. The Lord is my strength and my song. Not the one, only the one who carries me, but the one who is my delight. Not only the one who gives me strength, but the one who, who gives me hope. The one who gives me joy. And he has become my salvation. That verse occurs twice more in the Old Testament. Psalm 118 verse 14 and Isaiah 12 verse 2. They sing about who God is. They also sing about what God has done. They remember specifically the salvation that they enjoy. For who God is is expressed in what he's done. Somebody said this, how we do one thing is how we do everything. That's a frightening phrase. How we do one thing is how we do everything. And, 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 and we, if we want to know what God is like, we look at what he has done. We remember his victory. And then interestingly, also look at what he will do. The last part of this song, verse 12 to 18, is looking forward to what will happen, what God will do. Verse 13, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you've redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. You know, 40 years down the line, the people will head into the promised land and they'll meet Rahab. And Rahab will say, our hearts are melted in fear because of what happened at the Red Sea. See, the people recognize God's salvation. They praise him for who he is. They praise him for what he's done. And they praise him for what he will do. They look forward as well. What does this mean for us today? What does this mean for us as we go into a new week? It means as we recognize what Jesus has done for us. 
His salvation. These are the pictures the Bible uses for our state before we were saved. We were dead in sin. We were lost. We were blind. We were in darkness. We were a slave to sin. And God has saved us and we have done nothing to, to, to contribute to that. He has saved it in his grace and his mercy. But our response is to praise him. Let's praise him this week. Let's praise him. Let, that might mean in song, depending on who's around, I suppose. It might mean in song we praise him. But let's, let's actively look to praise him this week to, to, to build into our lives praising God. Praise him as you cook dinner. Praise him when you wake up and everything hits you about all that's to come. All of that that's happening that day. All of those worries and anxieties and things. Take a moment to praise him for who he is, for what he's done, and for what he will do. Just as we close, and time is, is going on, just as we close, chapter 15 of Exodus doesn't stop here. There's a little bit extra. God's people respond to their salvation in praise. Let's just read the last few verses. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went to the desert of Sur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water because it was bitter. That is why the place was called Marah. That means bitterness. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Then he threw it into the water, and the waters became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling an instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God, and do all that is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped near the water. The people respond to God in praise for the salvation that he's given them. Amazing, miraculous, remarkable salvation. They are responding praise, but they're still in the desert. They don't have anywhere to live. They don't have any food. They don't have any water. They don't know how this is all going to play out. They respond to God in praise and they respond to God in perseverance. They've got to persevere. They've got to, they've got to keep moving forward. Then Moses led the people from the Red Sea into the desert. For three days they traveled without finding any water. That's a bit of a surprise, isn't it? They've just been saved. The, 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 the Red Sea's just been parted. They've walked through wall of water on each side. They get through to the other side, three days without water. Now, we can jump, we can jump in here and say, well, they're very quick to grumble, aren't they? I think I would be pretty quick to grumble if I was in the desert three days with all of my family, elderly parents. Not saying my parents are elderly, mum and dad, if you're watching. With all my family, with elderly grandparents, with, 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 with young children. We're, working, we're getting halfway through day two. And I'm not sure that my heart wouldn't be getting to that place where it's grumbling. 
And so, so what's going on here? There's incredible salvation, but life is still difficult. An incredible salvation, but life is still difficult. I'm still in the desert. I don't have everything. I, I don't seem to have everything I need. What is going on? How to respond to this incredible salvation God has given? We keep walking. We keep walking. The people, verse 24, they grumble against Moses. Remember what we said? They're slaves. They've been slaves their whole lives. They don't make a lot of their own decisions. They're told when to sleep, when to eat, when to work, what to do. So when there's a problem, they go to the master and say, can you fix it? So they go to Moses. We haven't got anything to drink. And Moses does, and, and, and what Moses does here is teaching them what they ought to do as they start this journey with God. They've been saved. They start this journey. Verse 25, then Moses cried out to the Lord. Moses said, I'm just another person like you. I don't have the answers. I'm, uh, this isn't, you're not a, a slave anymore with your master providing everything. Now it's, now it's God. Now you're looking to him to be the, the one who solves the problem. Moses doesn't pretend he knows the answer. He doesn't try and make it up. He doesn't fumble it. He just looks to the Lord and and the Lord saves him and saves them by providing this uh, this water that they can drink. The people are going to start learning. Yes, that is the Lord who has saved them and it is also the Lord who will keep them. It is the Lord who has saved them and it is the Lord who will keep them. You've probably heard this a number of times if you've been around church as the people of God have been saved. They've been saved out of Egypt. Now the Lord has to get Egypt out of the people. And that journey begins now. The Lord tests the people here. I don't think he's testing them because he doesn't know what they're like. I think this test is so that the people will learn what they're like. This isn't a test so God can discover what, what, what are these people like. It's so that people can discover what am I like. And at the end of Exodus chapter 15, we're left with this question. These saved people, miraculously, remarkably saved. Are, this, are these people going to be people who praise God but sometimes grumble? Or are they going to be a people who grumble but sometimes praise God? question for us as we go into a new week as we respond and reflect on our own salvation what Jesus has done for us are we going to be a people who praise God even if sometimes we slip into grumbling a bit or are we a people who are known for grumbling who just every now and again praise God let me pray as we close and then we'll sing a final song together Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so, so grateful for the salvation that you've given to us. The salvation in Jesus, a salvation that's complete, a victory that's been won over sin, over hell, over darkness, over death, over guilt, over shame, over the things that that bind us, Lord. You have won a complete victory. We are entirely free. Our salvation is complete. And we praise you and we thank you for that. But we recognize too that in some respects we're still in the desert. We're still on the journey. There's still things that we're 
we're working out. There's still ways in which we're learning to walk with you. And Father, I pray for each of us, Lord, that we would indeed um, this week be those who praise you and who, who persevere, who see you come through for us, who learn to walk alongside and with you. And Father, I pray that we'll be found this week praising you for, for your salvation, yes, but your provision and keeping as well. In Jesus' name, amen.